Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Real Debaters production. I'm your host, Michael Petro. Joining me in the living room this week is Mark Cowell as we sit down to have a lovely conversation with filmmaker, extras casting director, uh, professional baker, Shelly Anthes. Shelly Anthes is a Winnipeg film professional. This is part of our ongoing series, Manitobans Making Movies. Uh, so we got to sit down with Shelly, quiz her brain about uh, what goes into casting a role, how much accuracy they try to go for, how much care and consideration the casting department takes when trying to portray another person in a movie. Uh, lots of fun stuff was talked about with Shelly, uh, how, how Shelly got into film herself, some of the films that Shelly's made as well. Uh, it was a Shelly-a-thon. She's a lovely lady. We had a great time with her. Um, so that's who's on the show this week. Uh, also, item of note, uh, as I am recording this, I am just three hours out of a live Q&A with Kevin Smith, Silent Bob, and me got to have a conversation about bringing the movies, the restaurant from the clerk's fame, to Canada as a pop-up. It's happening right now in Toronto. So everybody in Toronto that, that listens to the show, uh, go on to Skip the Dishes till December 9th. You can get all the movies-themed food, 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 excuse me, food you can think of. Uh, and they got vegan options there too. So we got to have uh, a Q&A, a conversation about all things Kevin Smith. It was a fucking dream. Uh, the guy is a gentleman. Such a great time. Such an interesting fellow, as we all know. Like I'm, I'm not saying things that people don't already know about the guy. Uh, so that's on our Instagram page right now for you to take a look at. Just go hit the movies meet and greet tab it's like the first little highlight item on our page there so that's me that's today that was awesome so i i hope you guys enjoy it uh i tried tried my best uh i was yeah it was a lot of fun i was just having so much fun yeah, so that's the dumb smile on my face that you're seeing and who doesn't have fun with kevin smith right come on now anyways so kevin smith the show today uh for anybody who's new um, and you're listening to me regale about things that you're not caught up on. Uh, all things Real Debaters, you can find us at therealdebaters.ca. That's R-E-E-L for the spelling of real. Uh, the email address is therealdebaters at gmail.com. If you want to send us an email address, uh, the website's got us all, got everything there for it. It's got our cast bios, merch stand, uh, a blog that's eventually going to get made. I know I keep talking about it. One day we'll find time to, to, to figure it out and get it going. So there's that to look forward to. Besides that, uh, nothing else going on in the real debaters world to pay attention to. So without further ado, I give you me, I give you Mark, and I give you Shelly. I'll cue the real, and you enjoy the show. Shelly, thank you for coming on and being virtually in the living room of The Real Debaters. We normally do this in a very kooky living room that my wife has put together, but uh, it, times of COVID, you've got to learn to adapt. So it's a pleasure meeting you from across the city through a Zoom room for the first time. But like I was saying before we started recording, it's funny that 
I've talked to Ian Bawa. I've talked to Doug Morrow. I've talked to um, Ben Williams so far. And all three of those guys I've had conversations with through the day job before I even realized that I'd actually spoken to them. And you are also one of those people who gets to fall into that category because we've emailed each other about things that you're doing on set. And then I was like, hey, I want to talk to people about locations and extras casting and casting in general. And then I don't know how I missed it. So egg on my face for that one. But uh, we already do have somewhat of a working relationship. Um, but I want to talk to you. It's the Shelley Show today. So I wanted to talk to you. We feel it's the easiest to start at the beginning. So what did you, like, what day was it? What, what, what moment was it that you were like, hey, I'd like to work in film? Well, it didn't, it actually fell into my lap film uh, in a way of speaking. I had just had my son. I was always kind of asked through at high school, like, what do you want? do when you grow up or you do like that test you know and and they say what category you fall into and I remember when they gave me my results they said you fall into too many categories like you could kind of do whatever all I knew was I wanted it to be different every day and my original goal was to become a photographer and then go travel everywhere uh, photographing for National Geographic so I'd always had a bit of a keen eye for photography and kind of the juxtaposition of just taking photos. Um, I was never really artistic in the way of drawing and coloring, but I liked organizing different things and rallies and stuff for school. And so I had my son and I realized, you know what, I actually would like to go to college. And so I started looking into classes at Red River College in the evening time uh, because my partner at the time worked full time during the day. And this was kind of a side adventure in photography. And so I went to go apply for the student loan for the classes and it was denied and they said we actually don't cover photography and student loans so that kind of hit the wall for me and they said well you know there's some other courses if you want to take a look and introduction to media production through red river college was how i started to learn that you know the way the courses were broken down there was like script writing working with actors producing introduction to camera and i just thought holy crow, <laughs> this kind of fills a lot of checkboxes I didn't even know existed. And so I started taking classes at Red River. But the unfortunate part was we were at the old campus in the creative communications um, studio. And it was a lot of old school technology, like click in this button to lock your edit and then dial over to the next edit. And Ugh. it just seemed so <laughs> out of reach to be able to learn any of that. But some of the individual classes that I started taking were really instrumental. I was able to network almost immediately and uh, go be an extra on set and start making little movies together. But the classes started getting canceled waiting for that new campus. So then I heard about the Winnipeg Film Group and Video Pool. Actually, first about Video Pool, I always say I walked off the elevator and I should have made a turn to the right, not the left. <laughs> but it was fun working on some independent projects that I was the sole creator. Uh, Video Pool is very uh, single artistic driven, whereas the Winnipeg Film Group is more of a set setting, uh, different hierarchies and different pieces and the moving pieces to kind of make something off paper and put it onto screen. So I inadvertently fell into it and fell in love pretty quickly and uh, have really loved all the different positions I've been able to take on building my skill set for different projects Is, isn't it interesting that when you were in school and they said you check way way too many boxes and then years later you end up in an industry 
that's like here's all the boxes that you can check and you fit into it right like I, i'm i'm in the same boat i think i don't know if mark took the test but i took the test and they were like there's there's not enough information here to kind of zero in on what you should do so uh have fun exploring and i mean i found this media late but nonetheless i found it so i do understand that you know you don't you know, it, i know what it's like to not check a box essentially <laughs> Yeah, totally. You know, my social studies uh, teacher, she was always like one of those teachers that was really straight up and honest with me and, and would kind of like talk to me on the side, like, how's things going? You know, is everything okay? And I remember her saying, like, don't worry, you know, not everybody falls into the box. I mean, nobody else didn't fall into the box this year. But you know, you're going to find your way. And the best thing I could tell you is to go to college. And so I remember actually walking in that day to go fill in the application at Red River, because you had to go there by bus, nothing was online. If it was, I didn't have a computer at the time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just interesting how it's all fallen into place. I hope I run into her someday. Yeah. And then, yeah, it, it, there are teachers who kind of it might not be a huge impact, but it is like a little bit of a, a stepping stone along the way. I had a teacher like that, too, who like looking back um, in the same way where you're like, OK, I, I can blame you for giving me that line of thought or teaching me that cool little trick. And those are the teachers we love. If teachers are listening right now, we know it's you're going so through true. the shit. So um, uh, it's kind of funny, Shelly, hearing your story of how you you started in one path and then kind of ran into a roadblock. It's I don't know if you're aware, but Mike kind of ran into the same thing when uh, he wanted to go into creative communications at Red River. And this is kind of how the podcast came to be. So similar story where uh, ran into a couple of roadblocks, didn't get accepted and then said, screw you. I'm taking the money and I'm going to start my own podcast and teach myself. So and you know what, whether it's (laughs) it, it, it. Thank you, Mark, for that. It's it honestly was one of the best things in my life that I've ever had the chance to do because i was like well okay i didn't i didn't get in and i and i didn't get in honestly we joke about this all the time but i didn't get in because i think i was too old i don't think i would have been good at being told things and and already having too much of a world view so i was like all right well i'm just gonna go take my view and and put it into something and whether it's painting or photography or film or podcasting it it is about just go do it i've i've felt like if you want to go make a film just shoot shit and figure it out if you want to make art paint like just keep painting until you figure it out so it's nice that that it's that it's that way for almost everybody right and i don't i don't know whatever uh it so. is like you either you do it or you don't do it i find in life if you say you want to do it and you don't do it but if you say you want to do it and you do it then it's they're going to make it happen i am like such a huge always emphasizing to people like if you want something you have to go after it and kind of a motto that we had growing up that my mom instilled in us was if a door closes, you kick down that door because that door wasn't meant for you. <laughs> so you need to go find another door and carry on and however you want it to be. And if it changes how it is, then that's what it is supposed to be. So I always tried to carry that into a little bit of everything in life as much as possible. And it's so that sounds like good advice. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it's not an expensive door. The one that was built on set out of cheap materials right (laughs) exactly so what what did you find once the door for film opened for you i'm sure you didn't really have a lot of ideas as to what department you wanted to work in and the, the more i've the more we've done this podcast together the more i start to give a shit about the end credits more than i did before and working with you guys in the day job and knowing how much like once you have a uh, kind of an idea of the slow moving train that film 
is and how many people it takes to make a good film, you start to, in my opinion, and I can speak for the rest of the guys, we start to give a little bit more of a shit about how it goes. But I'm sure your first door wasn't the one you wanted. So what were you doing when you first got into film before you got into casting and locations and whatnot? Uh, well, actually, I was an extra. Oh, okay. <laughs> I ended up playing a hippie on a commune on a Lifetime Network movie where it was set in the 70s. It was based on a book, We Were the Mulvaney's. And it's about a young girl living in a small town, ends up having uh, a pretty serious altercation with somebody in her hometown. Her family for like didn't want to be ashamed of her. They sent her away to go live with somebody else and then she ended up kind of branching out on her own ironically <laughs> and uh so i play a hippie on a commune there and i remember uh filling in the application and getting the call right away because my hair was a lot longer it was curlier and it was set in the 70s and i was like uh 20 at the time and so i remember pulling in and seeing all the trucks and trailers and i lived in vancouver before that and i thought oh, I've seen these trucks and trailers before. And, and I remember thinking back, I always wondered what they were up to because it was kind of a wall of trucks in Vancouver that I would see. And then when I ended up moving to Winnipeg a few years later and then being on set for the first time, it was very interesting. And I was really keen on watching what everybody was doing, who was doing what. And I remember walking by a very famous actress that all I knew was Gwyneth Paltrow's mom was in the movie. And so I walked by Blythe Danner and thought, she just looks so familiar to me. <laughs> I said, hi, how are you? And she said, I'm great, how are you? And we kept going, and then I realized later in the scene, oh, she's the actress. Like, I want to find <laughs> out what everybody's doing and what their piece is and kind of see where do I fit into it. Because I knew it wasn't just sitting and standing by and watching, although that was very good experience. For me, I've always been a self-taught, self-learner. So I just soaked everything up like a sponge and then kind of looked for the next opportunity and then uh, quickly fell into extras casting. That way, I was a house manager at a Fringe Festival venue and Carrie from Carrie Casting was there with Leah and they said, hey, uh, we hired you a few times. Would you be interested in coming to work on set? And then I ended up, started wrangling on set. My son happened to be away for the summer and I had some free time. So I worked my part-time job that I was, actually it was a full-time job then. And I started kind of working part-time on set and then gaining hours to join IATSE, which took several years. Uh, but yeah, it was all through extra work. So I think I fell into extras casting by way of that. But for my ultimate goal of wanting to write, direct, and produce, which I knew from right away from taking the classes at Red River and a lot of the hands-on experience that I was getting working as a volunteer production assistant. So my first time on set as a crew was a production assistant on a short film called Porcelain Dreams by Mike Reisacker. He lives in Toronto now, but um, I think he lives in Toronto. Maybe edit that part out. He doesn't live in Winnipeg anymore, <laughs> but we've always kept in touch. And uh, I helped cut him. So I was a production assistant. I was there helping him spray tea on the walls to make it look really degraded. It was this like psychopathic short film, blood, gore, horror, typical Winnipeg film group film. <laughs> and then from there, I was working in the medical industry and started writing my own script from a story that was all from a stethoscope's point of view. We embedded a small camera on the inside of it. I have lived. 
which was a nearly 20 minute experimental short film. And I remember people coming to my set going, who organized all, like you have product placement, you, this, this food is amazing. The craft service is amazing. Where did this location from come from? And I was like, well, I just organized it all. I want to shoot my movie. And I got all you guys here. We had like 20 cast members and about 20 crew members. We shot over a weekend. We took over the Abbott Clinic, uh, which is now I think Sussex Realty by the Winif or the art gallery. And we had that whole clinic for a weekend because I worked there and I was a medical assistant there working. And then I had made a shift to work in more kind of uh, transient part-time work that I'd be able to walk away from because I was becoming really serious about seeking more opportunities that would actually kind of start paying the bills. But that took a little bit longer. But uh, yeah, so my first time on set as an extra and first time as crew on a short film as a production assistant. It It's... Is is everybody? I'm and I'm I'm seeing this in 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 big Hollywood and, and even here too as we kind of get this interview series going. Is, does everybody want to make their own thing at some point or another? It doesn't matter what position you're in, but do all you because because I know Jeremiah right now who's in locations. He's he's crowdfunding mm -hmm. for something, and it looks amazing. And it's like you know my ignorant ass over here goes, oh, but you're in locations. That doesn't like, but it seems everybody has that creative itch in the industry, and if they can, if they can get their hands on the time and the money and the resources to do it, you know, it it's it's fun because it's this duality of like you're in locations, but you also want to create something. You're in makeup, but you also want to create something. Is that a common thing, or is that you know me just tripping over a couple people who, who do it? Well, I think when I first started in film, because when I came into the union of working on my first like big budget movie that was here was category seven and it was the second i think they shot category six here and then category seven so i was an on-set person dealing with extras i had already worked on probably like 30 other productions out of the film group and different projects that i had created or just volunteered to work on somebody's film literally trying to learn as much as i could I thought everybody had the same goal, that everybody wanted to write, everybody wanted to direct, everybody had their ideas. But I found over the years, it's very divided. Some people just want to be responsible for their piece, like making the costumes, shopping the food that's going to feed the crew, um, to securing that location, to being there all the time, looking at the oversee, uh, to people who are definitely, it's a stepping stone uh, to get into something else or to be able to make those connections or realize maybe that wasn't how they got into film in the first place but they had a story they had an idea we've all worked on that crappy show that's like i could have wrote better than this or <laughs> i could have directed i would have done this i would have done this so if you if as a filmmaker if people start thinking that way you're not just meant to be in front of the camera or behind it you're meant to create the content and help with that i believe yeah because so it, it's, it... it's pretty divided Okay. It's funny that you you mentioned uh, Category 7 because, strangely enough, uh, one of my good friends did a really small part on that as one of the Marines okay. in it, Martin Trudell. <laughs> <laughs> we always bug him about his limited short uh, 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 movie career. So. Ten seconds of fame. <laughs> or a split second of fame as a background if he didn't have a role. <laughs> I think he actually had a line somewhere in it. He had one line, and it was very dramatic that he that he barked out. I don't remember what it was, but it was it was entertaining. We we actually awesome. are trying to have a Martin Trudell Film Festival episode where we watch all of his bit parts 
that he's done over the years and and just dedicate the whole thing to shaming him into it and be like so what were you trying to do during that bark martin what 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 character were you trying to to yeah. to, to how develop? did marine number one speak to you <laughs> yeah. what were you drawing on you're not even a marine how did that happen <laughs> yeah, i recognize that name actually from when I first started out he was uh, sort of a pretty boy at the time and did a little bit of work and he had a background in policing too so that might be where okay. they where they pulled from <laughs> well, yeah I've actually I've hired a lot of police officers and like first aid responders uh, for various roles because a lot of times we do need to get actuals um, because we can't just have even if it's a person who's pretended to do it before for camera it yep. just doesn't come off as the real thing. It's the response reaction to the scene and what's going on to be able to stop and go and stop, reset, go again. That makes sense. Which, th th and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because you, you knocked out the question I had, where is there any formal training for casting or do you just fall into it? Which we now know it, you can you can fall into it. But I'm assuming that over time you develop an eye. But um, the, the, <laughs> there's so many questions I sent you about this and I really do want to ask them all, but let's, let's start with, with the easy one. Like, do you know instantaneously, whether it's an extra Marine number one, cop number one, or, you know, even if you're involved in casting the bigger, more lead roles is, is, is there already a discussion about, you know, I, I know there's a discussion of what you're wanting, but do you guys know when you see it or does it take as long as it looks yeah, um, well, just getting back to the formal training piece, there definitely is formal training, but I think with filmmaking, it's definitely like learning by trial and error. Sometimes you can hire that person that you think is going to be a right fit, but it might not necessarily be. Um, I had I've had the opportunity to sit in and audit a casting workshop that they did with Film Training Manitoba and Deidre Bowden came there was actors that had different scripts that they were reading in front of her and she has done all of uh, david cronenberg's casting over oh. the years and now cast for his son so to be able to kind of watch that keen eye um i've watched a lot of movies so i've seen a lot of bad acting you know i've always had that rule of thumb of also watching a movie and if it's not good i'm shutting it off and so when i wanted to get involved in film my mom thought well that's perfect because you were always watching movies all the time and i'm like I was watching movies all the time. I remember sitting watching Super Channel or playing hooky and going home and watching movies. So it was just kind of the irony of falling into it. But I started kind of receiving informal mentorships right away. I created very good connections uh, with Carrie Casting. I was able to work with Next Casting after that. I quickly worked with Jim Heber. Uh, he does a lot of principal casting. And then I was able to assist Carmen Kodak when she first... Uh, started doing casting in the city i was her assistant uh for faces in the crowd with julian oh yeah 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 yeah, uh, yeah magnet or no sorry julian magnet was the director sorry i'm thinking of julian's character from um, nip tuck yes so that actor was here with Mila jovovich and so i was able to get the actors ready prep them so i've had a lot of people who have hired me uh producers in the city that really gave me a lot to chew on because I was taking it off of their plates, wanting to learn and never failing as I was doing it. Anyone who knows me 
know I'm going to give 150% or more. <laughs> I tell myself, you don't have to give 200% all the time, Shelly. It's okay. Like, I'm my own worst perfectionist. It's awful. But I think we can all agree on that for ourselves. And so a lot of, like, self-taught, just soaking up everything from my mentors, asking questions, not just sitting and thinking, oh, I wonder why they do this, wonder why they do that. I would ask those questions. Or I would really see the relationship that would grow between the casting director in the room with how their personality is maybe at a social event when you see them are they coming in prepared are they um you know kind of hitting all these check marks that i would see the people who were hitting the check marks and getting hired and watching their work and going to set and seeing how they are seeing how the lines are delivered it's all a creative tug and tug of war and pull and play and feeding off each other and so Sometimes it's not like that. You go in, you do your job, you're off, that's it. But I kind of dialed myself into a lot of the projects where I was literally learning something from everything to just hone in on this, my skill set, build on it, uh, which is, I believe, over time made me a very versatile person because I can, I've, I know how to do a lot of the jobs. I mean, I'm not, probably not the best lighting technician or anything <laughs> like that, but, but I can creatively work with the director of photography for some of my own projects or as the producer working with new directors where the new director has taken me on to kind of mentor them in a way that if something doesn't see right or fit right or doesn't seem realistic of what is being portrayed or how the director is trying to pull the performance out of the actor, it's all been very self-taught and some unique experiences have definitely come out of that. And so I guess like an example of how do you, you know, pull the right people out of the crowd, so to speak, and kind of get them doing it. I worked on the installation uh, that is in the Human Rights Museum. I don't know if you guys have been there, but they have the panoramic 360 room where yes. there's three yep. women are telling the story that is the women at three different age periods in her life, a Cree woman, about Mother Earth and respecting it and the different perspectives that come from being a child to a teenager to an elder and the kind of journey that that comes through. I think that really should be the last thing that anybody walks through when they go there. Go to the top, work your way down <laughs> and go into that room. There's a few of those voices that have been replaced with different voices because the people that were performing the role the voice might not have been crasp or like raspy enough or mild enough or soft enough for what was being portrayed. You know, when you're in the box, you're delivering the lines. And then when they've put the visual effects on and there's the different transitions and music, sometimes those pieces don't go together. And so we pulled in probably a dozen people for the voiceover auditions that sent me their audition first for me to whittle them down and give the best couple to the client for them to choose. And one of the girls that I was working with at the time, a young Indigenous teenager, she did the lines and she never told me the whole way through. She was so humble. Her like image was one of the teenagers that was on the screen that was being projected. Oh, wow. So the oh, wow. original person who had worked with the client wasn't able to get that voice out. But because I had had the experience with her and was able from the knowledge that I had at that point to give her a different direction or think of something different at that, you know, of how that voice would come across. And her voice ended up being cast for her visuals. So that was like a super proud moment for me. First, she hadn't told me, and they told me afterwards. And I just kind of cried. I was like, that's so beautiful. Like, her voice would have been replaced otherwise. The visual is so strong. It's like the focal point of the exhibit. 
but it was just such an amazing, you know, you kind of, over time, you see where people fit in. Um, had I not known you were a police officer, for instance, I probably would have casted you something in a role that's like that. Sometimes people <laughs> look of who they are. You know, for Michael, he's a scriptwriter working at home. He's hammering something out. Or sometimes people look, I look like a hippie when I was 20 with long hair. So it's like people kind of can fit into it, but not everybody's going to fit that mold. Even if people look the part, they might not be able to play the part. Yes. And whether that's with a line or without a line, uh, there's different variables that come into that that are in some of your later questioning for sure. We'll hit on that. But um, I yeah, always wonder. It's always interesting. I was going to say that must be um, uh, sort of uh, not reassuring, but if you if you take a, a picture or like a, a, a character, like you're saying, and you're actually matching the voice that ends up belonging to the person, then that must show you that you clearly you know, looking at somebody, what their voice should sound like because you picked the right one out of the crowd, right? I always yeah, wondered sure. that. Um, and I imagine... Uh, I was just going to ask this question when I was thinking along the lines. Um, I know it's a little tough because only one of us can really talk at a time. But um, uh, it's sort of like when you listen to music. I always fancied myself that when I liked a song or a band, that I had a pretty universal um, ear. So when I liked something, it became popular. Whereas lots of other people, the songs they liked <laughs> never became popular as radio songs. And I take it that must be the same thing in your line, too. Yeah. It can definitely happen, and sometimes, you know, it, uh, I remember this one guy, I remember getting his headshot one time, and he was a very muscular person, and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. He'll be great to have, you know, and my very first movie that, after working on several films, and then getting that first key position where I was the extras casting director, uh, it was called Lockdown. It was an MMA-type movie where um, the bad guy ends up in a prison and they basically have to fight their way out or they die in this jail uh, directed by Daniel Zerilli. And so it was interesting because we were looking for guards and police officers or we were looking for prisoners. And often <laughs> you could submit the same person for both things because depending on how it went. But yeah, you end up bringing people in. I remember having to do some of the casting roles for that. The casting director who was doing the speaking roles um, ended up needing a bigger pool of people and there was some of the nudity roles that i ended up uh fulfilling that and finding that came in for auditions but you but they come in and their voice was totally off it's like oh damn it this is not gonna work like, this guy needs to be like a strong talking something it's like okay he's just background not just go okay well he doesn't fit at all the background have no speaking roles so as long as they can follow the direction and not overdo it <laughs> or kind of cross certain boundaries, then they're going to get invited back. They're going to be able to do it. But I know that person might not be the best coming in for speaking roles. But maybe something for voiceover later, it might work. So I think everybody has their unique skills. And unless they've kind of, you know, blacklisted themselves or written themselves out completely out of the industry and being a part of it, there literally is something for everybody. And if you want to cross that over to crew, then that's also a really good possibility as well. I'm guessing the skill of knowing what the public is going to like is an important skill for a casting director, not just what you like personally, but what's going to translate to a, a popular uh, opinion. Oh, for sure. You know, and like I've been in the audition room where you're watching the performance, but it's also being recorded. 
and it's amazing you can watch something and be like oh my god it was so beautiful like that's the person you know and then you watch it and go that's what happened when they were in here. Like, well, I thought, was, I thought the same way, or maybe there was that one person who was like, I didn't really know how it's going to translate on camera, and now that I've watched it, and then there's been those people that come in, and you're like, I don't know how this is going to pan out, and they just blow you away. They knock your socks off, and you're like, wow, this is the person, you know? So it's uh, a lot of that, but yeah, there's a lot of... Um, like I worked on We Were Children. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a residential school documentary and it's a docudrama as well. So Equal Vision produced it and it was two stories that were being told of elders who were recanting their stories of when they were forced to go to residential school. And so we had to hire, like my team was responsible for hiring all the background as well as the speaking parts. And so, you know, if it's a Hallmark movie and somebody's playing the nice girl next door versus something that's factual and needs to be right and has to be right. There was a lot of extra work that went into prepping those actors to get them ready for it, to make them realize, you know, you're playing somebody who you have a likeness visually, and now we need to get you to the spot where you're that overbearing nun or you're that bad priest. And so that was a really interesting process to work through because there was always that, how is the elder's family going to appreciate this person that is doing this role, as well as the producers and the viewer watching it, to, for them to be watching it going, this is what happened and this is how it went, for them not to differentiate that it's something that's being acted out. So there was like multi levels and layers going on in that. So it's always really interesting to be part of those, especially when it translates well, because when it does and the person's in the audience and they're so affected that they're taking and walking away from it and doing something that makes a change in their life, then, you know, you've done your job well. Yeah. I never and even considered exciting. that casting mm -hmm. for um, sort of a, a historical realism as opposed to, big screen pizzazz or, or whatever, if you will. Yeah. It just depends on what show you're on, but it, it there's just so many layers of, of um, different projects that come through the city and that I've personally had the chance to work on. And so that's why every project I work on, whether it's fluff, it's the movie of the week, it's, you know, the documentary of the year, or if it's my movie, I want to be learning something always. Otherwise, it starts feeling like work. Like, I know it's cliche, like, oh, if you like what you do, you've never worked anything. And I, I've worked 60, 70 hours a week. <laughs> I've been exhausted. But then, you know, you're watching it and you see the end credits or you're there on set when it happens and everything unfolds. You're like, I was a part of making all this happen. And there's that renewed excitement. I've never worked on a project thinking, oh my God, I never want to do that again. There's certainly people that I've worked with that I feel like I don't know how this is going to go or you try to mend that bridge to be able to forge into the next project. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, career. That's the beauty, I think, of the creative world is that you actually have a, a finished product to sit back and, and, and see what you've done. Whereas a lot of work, you don't ever get that finished product to sit back and go, oh, you know what? I was part of something pretty amazing. I'm definitely envious of that side. 
Yeah, there's a lot of projects too that I've worked on that, you know, made it through several stages, but never actually completed. And those are the hard ones too, because you just think of all the time and effort and what everybody learned, uh, good or bad, and sometimes they just never make it to the screen. And so being able to connect with the right crew as well to make sure that everything follows through, because a lot of projects can stall out and not just over finances, you know, over the commitment to the project. I remember hearing, you know, if you're going to work in film, you're going to have to love that project for three months, six months, nine months, a year. I, like one of my short films was a baby for like two months. It was like or a, a two years. Sorry. I'd wake up every day thinking, oh yeah, this, this, this. And I'm like, you know what? I'm thinking about this too much. I just need to do it. I just need to connect with the right people and network with the right people. And then, you know, I had to delay it one time by a year due to finances. The, you know, the, the gusto was definitely there to do it, but uh, yeah, no matter what stage it is, it's uh, always interesting process to follow it through to the end. I, uh, I, I forgot I was taking care of this because you just started to talk about so many interesting things. I'm so glad that, that so much goes into finding the right person and that the casting department has so much. Cause I mean, you hear about it and you see it portrayed and, it's like, yeah, our job is to pick the person. And then after that, it's it. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it's so meta for you and that you really dig deep into it and that you feel a responsibility of portraying the right image in the right way through the right person. And I can't imagine how painstaking it must be sometimes. Like, are, what would you say the percentage between like nailed it first time or like a thousand people later, you finally found it? Like, is it is it an even keel? Are you are you more often than not um, like, like, dig of the, of like the actual finding of the people? Yes. Yeah. Like, are you are you going through 70 people before you find the right one more than you'd go through? Like, what, is, is it a lottery for you? Like, I mean, you've got the eye for it. You're obviously watching it, but. You know, I'll give you okay. What I'm what I'm ignorantly coming up with in my head here is is the American Idol bullshit of all of the trial episodes where like thousands of people come through. Is 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 that like it is for movies where you're sitting there just painstakingly going through CV after CV, headshot after headshot, and then person after person? Can you get blinded in it? And then Eureka, you find somebody, or do you? Is it more often than not, you guys know what to put in front of, people know what to put in front of you and then you know what to pick from that? Well, I think like, the hardest thing is to bring out an actor that doesn't need to come out. Because, and I say that because if I'm bringing out 100 people, there's 100 people that are like losing sleep at night. Thinking, <laughs> oh my God, I might have this part, I'm gonna... I'm going to do this, this, and this. And while it's a good exercise, especially for new directors, I've worked with a lot of directors who have worked on independent projects. And they're like, oh, I already know the person that I want to cast for it. And it's going to be this person and this person, but they've never met, you know, but I think they're going to have really good chemistry. And I'll always go, okay, wait, like the record. <laughs> you want to be a director. This is part of the process. Let's get the actors into the room. It's great exercise for the actors, for the small to medium to large group depending on what the project calls for um and so when you're bringing each of these people into the room they're putting a little bit of themselves into it and you're going to take a bit of them when they come in to do it and that's coming down from not being prepared to getting nervous to falling apart to wanting to do it again um to going in the room and nailing it the first time and you wanting to try to get a little more diversity out of it. And so 
when I first started out, I would bring in very few people because I, oh, I don't want to waste their time. I don't want, you know, then I quickly realized they need to come out. They need to exercise this. I started in film when there wasn't a lot of projects. There wasn't a lot of people going for auditions. The people who were going for auditions were the same people again and again and again. And the people who were wanting to go for auditions were literally, aside from, you know, having a class or being part of a workshop, we're never exercising their chops, so to speak, to get into that room. And that's really critical because while somebody can go in and nail it for the first time, it's not going to be like that for everybody. And every opportunity is not just going to be, oh, we got that person and we nailed it. Let's move on. It's not exercising the director to be able to be open to different options. But I have had the directors who have gone, gone down the road with me through the casting process, ended up choosing somebody completely different for the role because that person brought something that they hadn't thought of. They tapped into something that they were like, whoa, how could I not have thought of that? Um, so, but I've also been on the flip side of those big Hollywood movies coming in. And for, I remember casting for a very prominent casting director, getting everybody lined up for her, they wanted to see everybody. So we were bringing out 30, 40 people for each role sometimes. Wow. Sometimes we were seeing 100 people for a male role, giving them one script, having them come back for a different script. Because you can either go in, here's the role that we want you to read for, and verbatim read this exactly how it is, and that's for that one role. Then you're seeing 50 different people for 50 different scripts. Some people will say, here's one script for the male, here's one script for the female, here's one script for the kid. And then when they see the character being portrayed in front of them, often they've been giving something that falls in the middle. You know, it's not the murderer, it's not the bad guy, it's not the housewife. It's something you start looking at the person thinking, oh, they'd be really good for Jenny, or we should maybe have her come read for Vera, and see where that person's personality falls into, to where the character falls into, give them the prelim script to go through, because then the director and myself as the casting director is not having to wrap my head around 50 different characters until you really start honing in who you want to come in for what. So each time it can be really different. A lot of times on short films, it's you're coming out to read for that role and that's what it is on some of the bigger movies it's you know it's kind of like bringing in two production assistants for the day knowing you're only going to keep one seeing how they work whittling it down to the uh, two and okay. Go, okay we're going to go with that person so the casting room can also be the same way too how's that person going to come are they prepared do they have their headshot do they know their lines have they just come in to wing it are they a seasoned professional? And they're, wow, they literally just fell apart in front of me. Like, I need to find the words right now to make them feel good about going for another try and leaving that audition at the door when they walk out. Because it's not them. It's us. It's totally <laughs> us. Like, it's, it's whatever we're looking for. And I'm sorry, you're not blue, but we need somebody who's blue. And so we're actually just going to cut the character. Now that character doesn't exist. And a lot of people, actors, have a really hard time letting go of some of those things. And uh, just every director is going to be different. So I've had to wrap my head around a lot of different ways that people think, the way they process information, and just adapting very quickly. So I've had a lot of jobs in the past that were troubleshooting, 
on the fly. I worked in property management. I was evicting people out of their apartments when I was 19, 20 years old, going to residential tenancies branch. Like this gang has to leave out of this apartment. They can't be here. And so just kind of, you know, maybe, maybe you're better suited to go live here. I'll hook you up with somebody else. So I think always troubleshooting and finding what works and what doesn't work um, is going to set you apart from everybody else in the field. And I think that's why a lot of people uh, do like working with me and why I like working with them is because there literally is always something for everybody. It just might not be where they are, but helping them in that path. And I've plucked people out as extras going, you need to come in and read for this part. And they've been so nervous and so scared. I've had a few conversations. They've come in, they've bombed at it. They've come in, they've nailed at it. And some have like gone on to try different things. And I just love that. I'm like, yes like they're doing it you know they wouldn't have done that otherwise and just like pushing that person and then them exceeding their goals and expectations and then that kind of the domino effect it trickles down so it's just it's amazing <laughs> on that topic of the large pool of people auditioning for one role is it uh difficult to learn skill to sort of cleanse your your palate in between <laughs> each person so that they don't all just blend together <laughs> Yeah, like each person will come in and the great thing about it is somebody will come in and we usually have a few minutes to debrief after they've left and then before the next person comes in. So there's always like a little bit of a break. Some people will just say they're going next, next, you next, and then they're just waiting for their emotions to be reacted. And while I've certainly had to do that as well, where there's people are coming in one after another and then, you know, I find it's like watching Twin Peaks. Unless you're really dialed into the storyline, you're <laughs> going to start tuning out, but the music is going to pull you into a scene. It's going to make you pay attention. And so that actor is going to come in. They're going to do something that's like, aha, I want to see more of that. Or try to push that character over the edge to take them to the furthest extreme. Although you know it's not going to be that way. It's an exercise for them as well. And so... Uh, cleansing the palate sometimes sometimes people will just come in and do some crazy things and you're thinking okay then <laughs> when i stop you i have to go okay i'm leaving the auditions at the door i'm walking out and the next time i have them come in i'm i'm going to know how to use my words differently or be very direct to the point um to pull the performance that you want out of them sometimes and this is what i love i don't know how i acquired the skill but sometimes I know where they're not giving it their all and they're not doing, they're doing something that you see that they can take it to the next level. And they sat there emotional after going, I had no idea that was in me to put that into this. And they might not have gotten the part, but it's put that in them to give it their all the next time they go in and leave that audition at the door when they walk out, because it is what it is at that point. If you've done your work, if you've prepped, if you've come prepared, uh, if you nailed it, if you sucked at it, just the next time is going to be something different. And it's literally like that for every job as crew. It's going to be different every time. The rules will all still apply. And how you do things and troubleshoot it might be better or worse. Um, but just always learning something from it and being able to refresh and pause and kind of reset an actor to get them back to where they were. Because, you know, nerves can get the better of people. Absolutely. Uh, you're you're yeah. you're bringing up some stuff that I was not really focused on, but now that I know how passionate you are about getting this right and pulling out performances and and knowing that how much credit you get for 
putting that person on the screen and, and, and how much work goes into nurturing the character and, and, and start to finish from reading a line to, you know, reading it in front of the camera. With the way of the world today, and that is about as far as I'm going to describe it, there's a lot of backlash about casting people who are not necessarily... Okay, this week, um, Anne Hathaway was criticized, and so was Warner Brothers, for their portrayal of her as the witch with... She had missing fingers, and a group of people who have deformities made comment about it. I'm just wondering what your opinions are on the fact that you're trying so hard to create this story and to create awareness about a position, maybe, or create awareness about a character, create awareness about an idea, and you work really hard to find the right person only to find out that somebody can't suspend disbelief to allow for that character to do their job and act it out and show the world. So like, does that come into play a lot more than it used to now because everybody's got a smartphone? Like, like not finding actual people for actual. Yes. That's what, yeah. Or certain requirements that are, yeah, I guess there's like kind of two sides to that. It's, um, and I've definitely been on both sides. I actually just had a conversation recently, which I'll get into the second part of that. But I have I have had to find, like I worked on Heaven is for Real, and I did all the background casting for that. So that was a true story that was written into a book that was written into a very big Hollywood uh, blockbuster. Yeah, great Kinnear, right? So it was a scene where we had to replicate children in the sick kid's ward without bringing sick kids in because had we brought in sick kids they would have been susceptible to picking something up luckily we didn't have covid back then but um had we put healthy kids in the bed and put makeup on them to look different then we probably would have like i always feel like there's always going to be some kind of flack that somebody's going to give and i think sometimes People don't think sometimes it's not just a creative choice. Often it's, um, you know, choices that have to be made. And kind of the, the second part of it is, is I've had to put out casting calls where I'm looking for very specific tone skin of people that needs to be right. I've gotten emails, you know, oh, you're racist. How come you're only looking for this? Or how come you're not looking for that? And I've had to be very frank with them going, look, we're casting a scene of 300 people in an airport in Mumbai, India, <laughs> for Percy Schweizer, a farmer who's come from white bread Saskatchewan, to go and talk on a global scale about canola and Monsanto. And that was real life. Like, Percy had to do that. Christopher Walken was playing him, but... I seen Percy talk at the university when he came here with his wife and I knew the dedication and passion and behind it. So taking on a project like that, had we hired a couple of hundred people and had makeup look, had them look differently, we would have gotten flack for that. So I got totally. flack for looking for the right people. <laughs> and, you know, I always feel like people, you know, every, you're right. Anybody who has a phone is an editor, they're a writer, they're a director, you know, and if they want to pursue those goals, that's awesome. But we're always looking for something that needs to be portrayed correctly. I've had to play the Bronx. So you need to look for a very set group of extras to play those. Because the worst thing is, is putting somebody in front of the camera that's not accurately right for it to come off. And so 
in that respect, tying it back to people uh, with dif disabilities and different things like that, actors are actors. People yes. have had to portray people who have different ailments, who are a lack of limb or whatever it is. They're actors. That's what they're doing. And so the, the state of the world, you know, I know an actor recently had to back down from a very big role that was probably one of the best roles in his life. My 13-year-old is even like, I don't understand this. Don't they know that there's two sides to the story, this, this, this? There's always going to be flack, but I think to try to get it accurately right, but to try to put somebody in a position who has the part other than making them physically exactly the same, which we would get flack for that as well. I mean, that would be horrible if we were doing that to try to match actors and that, but there's always going to be something. So people have to understand there's a lot of creative talk and meetings and prep. And, you know, sometimes people have these projects on the burner for two, three years. They're trying to, you know, put the right people in to be able to portray. And if people are walking away with, they didn't have severed fingers and I don't believe the story, then they're not looking into the creativity and they're hanging on to too much. And movies are made to shut off life and enjoy it. And if you walk away from that going, you know what, I want to go volunteer at an organization that's going to go help this and this, then that movie's done their job. If they've made you upset and angry over something, then go make a change in your life and do it. That's what movies are made for. It's a diversion. And I think to try not to read in too much, unless you're culturally taking people, culturally taking people and you're representing them in a bad way, and that's been done in the old spaghetti western movies, then that is definitely not the right way to go about it. But I think humanity, I would like to think we've come a long way. Look at the U.S., a big sway right. in a different direction right. of how that's going to be. And I think movies are a diversion. They're meant to be watched. They're meant to be loved. They're meant to strike debate. You know, I've worked on a lot of short films where people have walked out in the audience after it's on the screen. And I think, oh my God, they're walking off the screen or walking into the theater. This is horrible. And the director's like, no, it's exactly what I want them to do. They're mad. They're angry. They're, you know, they're going to go carry on and go do something else that's going to make a difference in their lives. So I hope that people would walk away taking that away from it. I'm, I'm, I agree with you a hundred percent. And we all have, we, we've had this conversation before and, and, and I understand people's feelings and I understand that the big screen is where it's, it's the big screen. Everything gets portrayed on it at some point or another. And I understand the way of the world and how society and technology have yet to be good bedfellows. And we can have civil discord about stuff like this, but, I, I have always defended that I know care and consideration are taking place in those rooms because the last thing you want to do is put that much effort in, spend that much time, spend that much money, and then have nobody understand the artistic aspect of it and just get offended by it. And 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 there have been situations where I, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I know I've had the conversations where, yes, okay, maybe some more could have been done, but at the end of the day, it's always about acting. You're portraying something, and if it mm -hmm. if it isn't going to get portrayed on the big screen, then there isn't going to be enough noise made about it. So can we just reason a little bit with everybody and go, yes, this might not have, there, there might not even be people with this disease, ailment, um, style of something, what have you, that can play it. So then you try to get the next best, most accurate 
thing. And, that, and you know, it, with Facebook and everything, as soon as you see it, it's Insta, it's Insta offense. So you don't have a conversation about it. Next thing you know, actors. You have to agree where that line is, though, right? Yes. Oh, totally. Yeah. We, yeah. I think we could all agree that if we had to do it again, we wouldn't cast Fisher Stevens as the Indian guy in Short Circuit. No, no, we would not. <laughs> But, I mean, that's obvious, but it's a little bit different when you're taking somebody that has a, a, a less obvious issue or uh, personality or style. Yeah, then there is uh, – actors are actors for a reason. It's true, you know. And, like, like a flip side of that is, like, I watched Aquaman for the first time last night. Jason Momoa is a nice guy to look at. He does not breathe yes. underwater in real life. <laughs> that's okay. I'm okay to watch that movie, you know. When I worked on my first uh, feature film as an extras casting director, one of the actresses didn't want to go nude. It was a scene where it was like a biker hangout. The garage door rolls up. There's two girls dancing. They're in bikinis. There's a violent scene that happens. Anybody who's watching those movies is going to go, Oh, you know, I really wish the girl would have taken her top off. But the body <laughs> double not been hired for that, for the nudity role, that scene would not have been there. There are certain, like, there's certain genres of movies that require that certain element of body doubles or whatever it is. Uh, because if I would have watched the scene, I would have went, this isn't believable. Those girls aren't, you know, who they're portraying to be i'm not saying all movies require nudity but there are those certain genres of movies and that's why they're funded that's why i was hired i lived for two months off the money that i was making from that show i felt good about what i was doing because everybody was comfortable on camera doing it i've been on shows though where people have been hired like um my winnipeg uh guy or sorry the saddest music in the world sorry i don't know if you've seen it it's an experimental feature that guy madden made and there is one of the characters isabella rossellini has an ailment there was somebody that was hired who was credited who was there every day who was part of the contract and the like liaising of helping that actress portray what her daily life is like because that's what she needed to portray isabella wouldn't have known that otherwise she could read about it and watch videos, but having somebody on set with you every day who is helping you become who they are to portray in their character, although the beer baroness in 1930 putting out for the best song is going to win a lifetime supply of beer was not a real thing. It could be at uh, some year, maybe I just had the year wrong, but there's certain uh, consulting and things that happen, and those are, again, opportunities that people might not have had otherwise. They were treated with respect. They were in a contract. They were through the union. And so being able to have those opportunities, there's always going to be a flip side of the coin to it as well. Oh, yeah. You're not going to make everybody happy. And and that's not your job. Your job is to make art and portray yeah. art as best you can. So, And, I mean, people get offended by paintings. People get offended by a song. People get offended by a picture. You know, we, I'm, I can be offended by a lamp if I really want to let myself get that offended. But, um, yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I really want to ask. And, and just oh, to go ahead. Too, yeah, go ahead. Like go ahead. Sorry to cut you off there for oh. a sec. But just to reiterate, too, some people have made movies and they've gotten it wrong. And if they've walked away with, wow, we really should have did this. We really should have did that. 
um, then if they're learning from it and proceeding forth and doing something differently the next time or incorporating different people that need to be involved for it to be right, um, then I think that, you know, they're learning something. They're, as a filmmaker, they're walking away with being able to do it better next time. And if they choose not to do it better next time or if they just don't do it next time, then they're just not in, you know, the right industry or something like that. I think you really keyed in on it with a consulting role. That seems to be the way to have somebody directly involved that can explain to a professional actor that's playing the part, the troubles, the tribulations, the, the daily life. Um, I know my stepdaughter um, has autism and there's a big movement for every time somebody with autism is represented in a movie that uh, not about us without us is the big the big key mm. phrase, right? And and but the without us part is just having somebody involved in the production. It doesn't have to be the actor or actress, I don't believe. I think it's just having somebody involved that can really give you some insight into that particular uh, person. It's so true, and I feel like it's respectful in that way. And then the whole crew as a whole sees how respectful that is. You know, I've worked I've worked on projects, uh, a lot of indigenous projects like. Um, the Taken series, uh, the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women series I've done with APTN. So we've had to go through the case files with the producers and the writers and their consultants to make sure that we're matching up people in an accurate way. That if the family member was watching it, they connect right away. I know that's my loved one. I know this. So they've, you know, and there's a like a smudging ceremony that happens during production, during the pre-production, oh, wow. during talking about the stories there's a you know a piece that happens with that it's because they are connected with the right people they formed an organization for it to be the right people and they're connecting with the elders and so that respect in that oh we seem to have lost her i think we lost her definitely hello she's back <laughs> oh my God. i tried to tether off my phone and that wouldn't work so now i'm back on wi-fi again okay sorry about that no worries it you you yeah, of all people sh you of all people should know shelly that uh we can edit and chop and cut and make this all sound like it didn't even happen i've been watching mark's cat stick his butt in his face so we're totally good <laughs> What's your cat name? oh we lost mark's audio now <laughs> uh-oh this is Simon, the hairless cat. Hi, Simon. Yeah, he has a hairless one, and I have a 35-pound one that might make its way onto my lap at some point. Uh, usually at the one-and-a-half-hour mark, cats start coming out going, you're making us, you're making our nap go loud. So anyways, all right. Well, That's well, the ongoing joke in our podcast that we normally do in Mike's living room is that we know we're about to wrap up when his one cat – leaves the one room and walks through the middle because it's always at the one and a half hour mark. So. <laughs> he's like, wrap it up here. Which we're at a bucko seven right now. So I have a feeling he's going to start coming in. But uh, uh, yeah, so anyways, so welcome back, Shelly. We, uh, we, we we got you back here. The, the Wi-Fi in 2020. Um, Elon Musk, make it free for everybody. That's my wish. Okay. Yes. <laughs> If, if it's any uh, consolation, you came back clearer and crisper and sounding better than ever. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, like I say, take two. It's always your So best once day. more from the top. <laughs> back to ones, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and action. <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay.
Okay, so what I wanted to what I wanted to throw at you next, Shelley, was um and I'm glad we got to talk about the seriousness that you take in the casting because I feel people need to hear that. I feel it's not it's it's you 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 know all these departments there's just not enough spotlight on casting and stunt doubles and all of the things that go into it because those aren't the sexy awards and we have this conversation a lot on this podcast where I would love to see an award show dedicated to all of the other people that make yeah. a movie that do not get enough credit that are just as like they're the heart they're the spine they're the frame there's so much in there um but one day the oscars will listen to us and take us seriously um so onto something a little bit more lighthearted here what's a casting room like nerve level stress is it are, are you guys very like are you professional are you coaxing cuz you sound like a great coach like you 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 are very excited when people get they they find that part in themselves and they bring it off and it comes off the paper and you get to see it. So are you guys, you know, straight faced or are you a little bit more forgiving? Like what's a room like? The audition room is whatever we make it. Okay. <laughs> it really is. It's uh, I've worked on projects where it's been a very nurturing environment. Uh, the actors feel great coming in. They feel great throughout the audition. They leave. They feel like they have the part. Not everybody's going to get the part. I've been in the audition room where I've been the assistant to somebody who's casting, and it can feel very cutthroat. People come in, they read their bit, they're told to leave, and that's that. That's I find that's not good <laughs> for anybody, but it also prepares the actor that literally anything can happen in that room. So while it's something that you can create, sometimes the project demands for it to be something different. And so... I was part of a trio or a quad that was working together on a project called Fracken Zombies. And we were trying to get some funding uh, through Cineku. We actually made it quite well through some of the rounds. And we ended up not making that feature. Um, it could come back as something else someday. Uh, but I was one of the co-writers and a lot of the ideas of how they became zombies was my idea. So that's an exciting, could be a short film down the road. But for that, we wanted people coming in exactly in character they could not break character they were told that before they arrived uh, we can give very detailed criteria of exactly how we want them coming and that's to test are they listening are they compliant are they going to listen to what we're asking of them are they treating it like a joke is it serious you know and so sometimes it calls for that because maybe it's the character it's the way the director wants to approach it i have had auditions where there's no friendly banter, you know, for docudrama series. They're coming in, often the client's there. I need to be very disconnected from how I've been with them in prep. Once I've prepped them through what they need to do, I have to walk away from that compartment of the job and put on my different hat of being serious or laid back, introducing them to everybody, not introducing them to maybe five or six people who are sitting, you know, straight-faced, pens in hand, ready to watch that person perform and if they're not ready they're not going to get that second chance to do the reading and they're going to have to leave exactly the way that they've left it so we can create a, a variety of different environments and that's often to get them ready to ease them into it or have them ready right away see who sinks or swims in that process and then carry on to the next level because when some of the big hollywood features come in they're not going to have that banter with the director. They're there to do a job. They're there to do it right. They're there to get it right because they might not have that opportunity again. And 
sometimes maybe people who are in from coming in from out of town it doesn't matter to them they're here to do their job they do it they walk away they don't care of the weight they've left behind or the wrath for the local crew to deal with and so um it's different every time is there it, i always we, we tout the line here our cheesy line is where real life meets real life um trademark so um but there I like, I like I'm, I'm glad you do <laughs> i'm glad you do thanks one of those shirts. <laughs> done done we'll make it happen um but uh is there a lot of like finding people in 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 you know uh, a diamond in the rough so to speak to quote aladdin like is 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 it more about you guys know the industry you know the city so you kind of know maybe in advance you're like okay we definitely want these four or five people or do you find a lot of you know needles in a haystack where you like you because you say you you've met people where you wanted them to come in and you're like no you could do this but have you ever found somebody who was a stone cold nobody and then you were just floored by it yeah definitely and it almost actually happens in every audition someone's gonna knock your socks off and somebody that you you know like as a casting director i try not to go in with any expectations but it's almost impossible to separate yourself from that because you are expecting a certain level of performance to come out of this actor especially if i'm assisting somebody else or i am the casting director who needs to send these videotapes to the you know creative crew with no explanation of what happened they just want to see the performance and so I've definitely been in the audition room where you're looking for that diamond in a rough and sometimes you don't know with what character it you might be seeking it sometimes that diamond in the rough will find you and that has definitely happened where you bring somebody in maybe they're not in the right age group maybe they're a little bit different maybe they're just in their photo their personality is reflecting something different than what you want and you always want to try to take that person to somewhere different and so I've been in the audition room where like, wow, and try not to express that because you don't want it to throw them off their game. I remember yeah. where I was working as a producer and I did the casting for The Crest. It was a short film that local uh, director, Paula Kelly made. And it was just such a beautiful story. And we were looking for the daughter and what the director had in mind originally, um, the actress that we ended up finding was completely different, but we watched her come in and we thought how's this gonna go and she just kind of curled up in the chair and just gave this knockout performance but the director wanted to take her in a few different angles and so my job and i've always been kind of good at doing it and i know because i've had feedback and it's exciting when it happens i know what the director is thinking as soon as they see it happen and i know when to kind of sit back and let the director take over Unless I'm in the room, then I'm going to try to get something else because I can edit it out later to show the the actor. But it's uh, taking the lead, getting the actor ready for everything. And then literally they come through that door and it is what it is. They could come through falling apart. They could come through knocking our socks off. They could come through a going, wow, you know what? They would be really good for this. Hey, can you go take this script and go cold read it in the hall for a little bit and come back in like 10 minutes for like a completely different character? Sometimes those people will come in really strong and sometimes they come in weak and they're just not uh, resilient to the change that demanded from them. So sometimes in a callback, you might get that performance or you might just go, wow, that was a crazy road. We just went down. It kind of led us nowhere. 
but often it's going to lead you somewhere that's going to add something to the story. And if your character is adding to the story, then the, it's, you know, the creative is like sky is the limit. Like anything is possible. Yeah. Which I, was... I think should always be brought into each project. Do they, do you see a lot of people taking liberties and kind of going off in, in, in like it? I, I, you always, you, you see the, the, the silly scene in the movie where they're like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to elaborate on this or I'm going to take this off the page and do what I want. Is that a, is that a faux pas? Like just do what you're told, read what you're written. Cause you're saying like, are, are, can you be commanded? Can you bring it out on the fly? Can you dig deep when you need to? Do you have a toolbox full of emotions that you can pull from? These are all things that are done action cue on command. So if someone takes liberties with it, is that a, is that a faux pas? Is that, is that no, no? necessarily like unless you know every time there's an audition and a character breakdown is put out and that's how the actors ultimately apply sometimes they could just say male 30s send your information to this role sometimes it could be male 30s abandoned child adopted by lucrative family and teens now running a business 20 there's a lot of um, raised by blanks wolves. that are kind of filled in. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, <laughs> the, the in and the character of what we've asked them to commit for. And so sometimes when it's very clear cut, sometimes it can be very gray about the character. And it's like that for a purpose. We want to see what they're going to do with the character. So you almost want those liberties to happen sometimes. Um, sometimes in the bigger shows where it's very like, this is the script, this is exactly what we're looking for. You're coming in for this role. There isn't a lot of room for that. While there's always some creative flexibility, um, you know, on some of these like independent projects, like Love Sick that was shot here, um, different features, you know, that people have been part of here. They want to see what that person's going to do with it. And if they come in, you know, um, really off the handle like whoa this is just like way too left field your next sentence needs to be immediately formulated okay let's try it like less of this more of that can you add some of this can you start bringing in some of this feeling we don't want to see it right away hide some of this hide some of that okay go and then you know they're literally having these things thrown at them <laughs> and, you, and part of it is a how did they adapt to it b did they change their performance or is it exactly the same as when they came in? Okay, maybe they can't take direction. Let's try a third try. If you're going into a fourth or fifth try without things being changed and the actors being constantly reminded to do the exact same things, there's many things that are happening at play. Nerves, they're not hearing it correctly. They think they're changing it up. Even though you're saying, let's try it like this, you can't be so, you know, don't do it like that. Don't do it like this because that's really going to throw them out of the character that they're trying to portray. So it's always this uh, fine finessing at a moment's <laughs> notice to try to reel somebody back, push them further, or, you know, it's always this, this constant give and take. But <coughs> we've had people come in, they change it up, they've gone somewhere different, and, you know, it's great. Otherwise, they've come in, they've done it repeatedly again. I wouldn't strike that person as not coming in again unless they became... Um, I've had a few people go, well, I don't want to leave the room until I do it like this. And you just have to go, the audition is over. Like the next time you come in for something, you know, maybe you, I'll send you some notes. That doesn't happen a lot unless somebody, it's happened a few times over. I've had to follow up with people afterwards going, look, like you really need, 
you have to be open to taking the direction because when you're on set, anything could happen and you need to be able to adjust and be flexible at a moment's notice to change. Otherwise, the creative process is not going to go that way unless you're funding the movie and you're the producer and you're the, you know, the actor and you're going to do it how you want because you have the final say. That's a totally different thing. Um, but I think just being flexible and open to the change and reflecting the change immediately will show the diversity that that actor has to offer. And you can't fake that and you can't hide it. And, you know, you can act it. Well, then you're doing your job. You're acting it. But don't fake it. You have to believe what you're performing. Otherwise, it's not going to come off right. You're probably not going to get hired because they need to build in different ways on the character, not always trying to find the character within that same actor. Otherwise, it's, it's a disservice to the story and the character if you're always having to focus on something that isn't relevant to what you're needing to get. But some projects do have that flexibility. They've hired somebody. They want to they want to manipulate that actor over a couple of months or three months. I've seen it even nine months perfecting this character. And you watch their audition tape before and you see the first set once the movie's edited and you're like, whoa, like how many 180s did they do? Like, this is amazing. So not every budget will allow for that and not everybody will have the patience for that. Um, if you do, it's great. And that's, again, every project is going to be different. The needs are going to be different, but the rules are generally the same. So I have a bit of a question on this, well, sort of this topic. It's all the same topic. But um, when you're looking for something in a movie that requires a special skill. A very special um, set I've of skills. I've heard these stories where, where actors will write down, you know, uh, diving, horseback riding, uh, blah, 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 basketball. And it, have you ever, uh, like, do you ever need them to prove that skill? Or is it just <laughs> one of those ones you take? Because I, I can imagine some people get themselves into quite the predicament when they claim to do something and then they don't. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for you to your answer, Shelley. <laughs> it's true. You know, we, I remember a project that I heard about and I almost caught it twice from happening, but like I caught it beforehand because I'd heard of the disaster it caused and then always ask the question again so again learning every time you're doing something and it was the role was for a character who drives around town looking for trouble ends up connecting with friends they cause some stuff and then they drive away at the end of it the person came in for the audition they nailed it they get to set and the person says, oh, I just need to take a copy of your driver's license. And they say, well, I don't have a driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a driver's license. They end up having on the fly switch where the characters were sitting in the car, which, you know, people have storyboarded this out. There's different, you know, the color of the car maybe on this side is this. The wardrobe has been picked out for that piece. So the crew had to kind of like prepare at the very last minute, like, holy crap, we've got to like change this up. So, you know, the next time somebody's coming, well, we know this character needs to drive. Do you drive? No? Okay. You should probably read for this part or read for that part. Um, we've had, like, background people where we've had kids riding with bicycles in the background up to a school while the character is in the front talking. You know, you don't want those kids falling on their bike in the background because they've never been on a bike, even though they own a bike. And, uh... <laughs> this is the one... Lori Laughlin in Rad, being a BMX freestyler. 
this is the one that made me think of it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure she never rode a bike before this movie. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the bike's probably like still she's, you know, acting the part, which is great. Um, but we had it where we've had skateboarders who are interacting with characters. Is it skateboarding? Oh, no, this is her her doing a trick, but it's obvious that there's a male stand in for her when you watch the movie. Yeah. So crazy. And I imagine it happens with, I, I heard somebody saying, oh, these guys are playing basketball and it's for like a, a big show and, and the guy does the role. I think I heard this on Dax's podcast, actually, Mike. And uh, the guy goes to do it. It was a well, uh, well-known actor now. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he had never actually played basketball and they want him to sit there and shoot shots. And he, he didn't know how to play <laughs> basketball. And he thought, well, when's anybody going to call me on that? Yeah. Well, that's, the tr- that's the truth, though. Like any actor who's putting down any special skill we're constantly looking at those special skills. Like I've had to, you know, look for gymnasts of a certain age, like nine to 13, where they had to be at a provincial level three. So anytime I'm on a (laughs) movie or anything like that, I ask, what is the level that the characters are on? It was for an American girl movie that was here. So we ended up going to all the different gymnastics uh, clubs. We went to about 12 or 13 clubs. We ended up pulling some of the best ones out for the photo doubles because the actors needed some scenes where you know they're doing triple backflips like some of these little girls are they're just they're actresses and they have they have the physique and different things to pass for it but not the skill set same with a figure skating movie we had to have as it was like one of the highest levels of that age group for figure skating because often they're doubling the lead characters because they're not actual figure skaters but the figure skaters wouldn't be able to pull off the acting role because they're not actors so again it's this collaboration and consulting and bottle bottle doubling and special skilled extras so then from those like for instance the gymnastics groups the big end scene was eight or nine different teams at this provincial or i guess it was this state so it would be uh state State. level and they were all doing different things so we were able to incorporate a lot of these girls that might not have had the exact skill that we needed for the lead actors but because they could do this that or the other thing you know, we had nine different costumes for each of the teams. Excuse me, and they were all able to still be in the movie in some level. Had those girls said, "Oh yeah, I'm you know level three, and they're coming on the day, and we put them on the beam, and they're not able to do any of these things," yeah. they're going to a hurt themselves. B, they're going to be embarrassed because something's on their resume that we were told, or the parents gone along with, or the actor as adults has gone along with. They could do it that's the last thing anybody wants is to be asked to do something that they've never done before on camera around a hundred crew members. So anybody who is putting the special skills down, if you did it 10 years ago, you need to refresh that skill because you could get that. And if you're called in for a part to be a body double or somebody and you put this down, then the most embarrassing thing you're going to have to do is go, you know what? That was 20 years ago. I haven't done that. You're, you need to take me out of the running. It's not necessarily going to look like you're lying, but your other credentials or things that you put down are going to be questioned. And well, we you... don't want to just want people going, well, we can't believe what they're going to say because the biggest thing is we don't want anyone getting hurt. That's whether you're feeling or physically getting hurt because you <laughs> said that you could do something. I love how you included um, your feelings. <laughs> so, yeah, we've definitely had to weed those out, but also look for, for very uh, specific skill sets to play on. Like I had to look for a, spot, a sign spinner one time. So I had to go drive around. Oh, wow. go, like you know, little Caesar pizza guy and different things that they're doing to portray that 
I believe it was in Sunnyside we did that. So Sunnyside was a series that we had to find a lot of specific skills, a lot of hipster-looking people, uh, people on bikes, people on skateboards, people with different skill sets for doing different things, all in the background, of course. But uh, we always wanted to be accurate what people are able to do because we don't want to put all our eggs in a basket with these 10 people. And if eight of them are fabricating what their skill is, then it's going to make me look like a jerk to the director going, well, didn't you know that they couldn't do this? Or, you know, just connecting with everybody and having that photographic memory or remembering what people tell you that they're able to do. Maybe somebody, you know, there's a great actor in the city. For a while, he never had carpentry on his skill. He's an amazing carpenter. Now he's doing things, still acting and doing different pieces. But it's like drawing the strengths and the weaknesses from everybody and building on those weaknesses and the strengths because we're all capable of doing that. And if anybody's in the industry to be creative, then they're going to go along with that. And if they don't, they're going to easily weed themselves out of the process. What you, our listeners wouldn't see the video, but this is my uh, my Doctor Evil audition. How would I? You should sit more straight. Your clothing should be different. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That, you're in the right world now. <laughs> well done, Mark. Well done. Um, as as every episode we do with uh, Manitoba film professionals, we I always find that they're pretty much guaranteed for two parts because there's so much that you've told us and there's so much more that I haven't even had a chance to, to ask you. And time is not on our side today. Unfortunately, there was a little bit of a hiccup <laughs> in my schedule. So, um, And I do want to cover some things before we let you go. One is a surprise I didn't tell you about, but I assure you it's fun. So don't worry. You, you, I'm not going to ask you anything that you don't want to answer. And by not answering might be an answer. But um, because I'm through work an on-screen member, you're an on-screen member, on-screen Manitoba, you, you would be a better person to talk about them than I would. I know, I know what they do in my world, but for Manitoba film professionals, an easy way I guess I could explain it is, is it's a group for Manitoba film professionals to get together and it's a committee it's a group it's an advocacy um it strengthens manitoba film it makes sure that what's done here is respected and known about and shared and most importantly it showcases the fantabulous talent that exists in this province like shelly um in keeping with that theme i refer to manitoba as little hollywood that's my moniker for it because it's slowly becoming the one of the most known spots, if not in Canada, in North America to come do film like Netflix picks us, mm-hmm. Amazon picks us. Watching this happen and being proxy to it through my day job is a blessing because it's made my day job umpteen times more interesting than it ever was because now I get to have these weird set conversations and be like so what's this thing doing? And then I get to know about it. And I'm like what's the special effect? Like that's super fun to have Someone call you and be like, I need a cement mixer because we got to fill a pit to make people, you know, not sink in it. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's do this. Anyways, why do, what is so great about working in Manitoba Film, Shelley? Well, I think for me, because a lot of people thought, oh, you've done this, you've done that, you know, you're part of the union, so you're going to move away now and go work somewhere else, right? So you're working all the time or do more writing and directing and everything. And I'm like, no. if i do that i'm literally gonna have to start over again to prove myself to another industry somewhere else i mean of course my resume is built up quite a bit more since i first got into film um 
but Manitoba is unique because you can still kind of do part-time work if you're not um, working full-time and if you're trying to break into the industry. There's a really great opportunity. The cost of living is amazing. So if you're in timeouts or uh, productions aren't coming through, I mean, I didn't work for eight months this year. That's the longest I've ever not worked since I was, you know, 13 years old when I got my first job. And it was, holy crow, are we ever going to work again? And my first thought was, I'm so glad I don't live somewhere else paying, you know, thousand two thousand dollars a month to live or not having the safety net of like on-screen manitoba of film training manitoba of iatsi of the directors guild of the community as a whole anybody who's new wanting to come into film we're all a safety net of we've done it before we don't want you to fail um so i think winnipeg has a very interesting uh like almost like within mentorships, within mentorships of the different people and layers that you can connect with in the community. I think trying to do that anywhere else is really difficult because you're vastly outnumbered. You know, I'm probably one of, <coughs> uh, I'll say overall the people who are scouting the city, maybe one of a dozen people who are able to scout. If that was Toronto, that'd probably be a pool of 100 scouts. Wow. If it was Vancouver, there's probably 150 scouts. So in preparation for today i was kind of looking back of how many projects i've worked on and i was i was like wow i can't believe i've worked on all of these things if i lived in a different city i feel like the uh prime time for opportunity wouldn't be there as much i'm not from winnipeg i grew up in Barrie, ontario i lived in vancouver for a year i got stuck out in a farmhouse out here meeting friends i was 17 years old, I turned 18 here, I fell into property management, I've fallen into film and just love it after working in the medical industry for a while. And I think even if I was getting the opportunity to write and direct and having to go somewhere else, I think that's just the thing that you do when you live in Winnipeg. If you're part of Winnipeg and you're here, then you, it's like feast or famine, adapt or not. And so I feel living here, there's a lot more opportunities that I would not have had anywhere else. I wouldn't be where I am in my career. I feel very well supported with the people that I've connected through casting, my producing, my own writing and directing, working in different, you know, I've, uh, I do a lot of like philanthropy, you know, work in the city that, and some of that I've initiated and I've drawn on my networking. It's always about the networking, but I'm a very outgoing, friendly person. So for me, it works. For somebody else, it might not work, but for me personally, I feel very nurtured and supported, and I feel like I've learned so much from the community. I'm always looking at giving back. I'm always looking at helping to teach the next person. Um, You know, somebody asked me for something, a panel I was on recently, like, where do you see yourself in five years? I was like, hopefully doing the same thing (laughs) or teaching the next generation of filmmakers that are coming up. We are the safety net. We are here to help and watch you succeed, and we definitely, I know I want to be a part of that. When I was coming up into it, it was always, oh, I don't want to teach you this or teach you that. Some people just didn't want to for fear that I was trying to take something away from them. And that's not how it is. You either jive with a group or you don't. I've gone, I've had to leave a show with the producer's blessing going, you know what? They're having a really difficult time with somebody on this end of it. We really feel like you're the person that needs to step into this role. And then from there, it's just advanced my opportunities and to be able to give back and share that with somebody else that, Sometimes you need to be transparent with your producers and ask for different opportunities 
or they're going to come to you and you need to be open to the possibility of, you know, I call it being hockey traded <laughs> somewhere else because people know you and like people know me, they know my skill set, they know I'm diverse. And sometimes I've been that troubleshooter that they've called in specifically because a lot of crew will just work in one vein and stay in that vein. Others that are writing and producing and directing have the ability to kind of move sideways between these things, but then, oh, I'm here now. This is what I'm doing. And uh, I think Winnipeg has been a really good breeding ground for that to happen for a lot of us. It You've said about 17 of the same things that everybody I've asked that question to, and it essentially comes down to a really great community of people now that like to educate and learn, soak up knowledge, make fun shit, do awesome things, meet great people. Like it, it really is. And I, and I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm proxy to it. So I, I, I'm not in it per se, but I've, I've, I've seen and heard and watched enough of it that it's, it, it is really, it's, it, it's nothing like you'd get in the big metropolitans. You wouldn't get this in Toronto. Like you said, you wouldn't get this in Vancouver. This isn't LA whatsoever. Like there's a, it, it's, it's very, and like, because it's so tight, it almost is self-perpetuating in that don't mess around, don't ruin it, right? There's a reason people now see you guys as a mecca to come make film here. There's a talent pool to pull from that is deep and full of skills. So um, you, you, you are very protective of it, yet at the same time you are very nurturing inside of it, which is kind of an anomaly unto itself, right? Um, but, it's true, uh, and it's a very small community. You know, People can uh, burn themselves out pretty quickly. And uh, it's a small community, but it's a very nurturing community. And yeah, everything you said is, is pretty accurate and why I stayed. You know, I, was, I worked on a really tough project nearly five years ago, and I was fired. I've never been fired from a job before. It was totally devastating. I was in a position that was something different, that the project started out small in the middle of me starting it and being kind of knee deep into it a huge injection of money was inserted into the feature film, which anybody who is a seasoned person would have had a difficult time keeping up. And it was really hard for me to concede, like I've been fired. Like I've built up so much of my reputation. Nobody's ever gonna hire me again. I was really, really devastated. And I thought, shit, why did I try something that maybe I wasn't ready for or Sometimes it's just personalities don't mix. And so I remember my family saying, so like, you're going to come back now, right? Like, you're going to leave now and come back home? <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm going to wait for the next call and hope <clears throat> it comes. Like, if it doesn't, then obviously I'm meant to close this door and go kick down another. There it is. Whatever it ends up being. <laughs> Maybe I just don't do that job again. But I did fall into that department again. And now I've been there for the past five years. And so I've had such amazing experiences since then. Had I left Winnipeg, I would have started out as a production assistant somewhere else and might not have kept going with film just because it would have just been so daunting during the last 15 years of building up that reputation and rapport and networking with everyone and having to start over was just such a scary thought. I thought, nope, I got to go out with a stiff upper lip and keep paying my union dues and just you know, with a heartfelt feeling like this is going to pan out. I put far too much of myself and my creativity and I know this is where I need to be. 
And maybe I don't need to go kick down another door. I just need to go try a different door handle. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> but just being able to adapt. And I think yeah. Winnipeggers are known for their adaptiveness, I think, for sure. So. Yeah. Before uh, we uh, get too far along, Mike and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and Shelly, what sort of stuff can uh, our listeners and us check your, check out some of your works with some of your recent stuff that we can uh, look you up in? Yeah, for Either sure. through so, uh, all different roles. Well, there's always something going on in Shelly Anthes' world. <laughs> I'm currently <laughs> in a baking competition uh, to be the greatest baker, to be in a magazine uh, spread. So I was, out of 35 bakers, I made the top 10. Now I'm buying for the top five. So if you go Ooh. check out the great baker, uh, just Google me, or like you can search my name, sorry, and it's Shelly Anthes. And then a plethora of photos of my cakes that I've worked on will come up. I fell into doing a lot of cake baking, which I learned uh, doing a part-time job when I was like 15, 16 years old. And with the COVID initial lockdown, I was able to go, oh yeah, I know how to bake professional cakes. <laughs> and so I had a few fundraisers where I was able to raise some money uh, for a few inner city projects uh, for Laura Ray's pantry project, as well as the West Central uh, community a women's resource center uh, for various items they were giving out to their clients and i'm gearing up for the third year as head elf of the santa brian uh, toys for santa which will be turned into a raffle which um gives a lot back to many teens and kids who otherwise wouldn't have anything for christmas so those are kind of ongoing uh but right now i am the location scout which is now winding down so it's more assistant location managing work on burden of truth i've been working on season four i'm like the new stepchild to the family because <laughs> i didn't work on the previous seasons so that's been a fresh fun and exciting and yeah exactly <laughs> and just being part of something that's so well established you know i'll knock on someone's door and i'll say hi i'm shelly from burden of truth they're like come in what do you need like move the shirt off our back we'll give it to you like what, what do the characters need from us you know and there's a lot of Selkirkians who are a part of making Millwood what it is. And uh, I've been working on a sketch comedy series, writing that with a few comics who live out of town. So looking forward to putting up a sketch comedy series, maybe by next summer. And then my short film, Somewhere in September, just wound down. We were on a festival circuit there for a couple of years. Uh, so if you look up somewhere in september.ca, you'll be able to see a lot of local actors. I wrote, directed, and produced that. And we'll get Mike I recently to include produced some of these Heidi links. Phillips. Yeah. And recently I just produced uh, Heidi Phillips' What If? And, or sorry, um, Heidi Phillips' Too Wait. It's a film that she made. We actually shot on 16 millimeter and 8 millimeter film. Wow. Super 8, uh, we did that <clears throat> throughout the summer, so that's in editing right now. And yeah, if you join uh, Extras Casting Winnipeg, which is the page that I manage and post a lot of crew opportunities, a lot of Extras Casting opportunities, we have nearly 8,000 people follow our page. And so that's a really good resource uh, to tap into that. And That's your Facebook yeah, page, correct? It is, yeah. Yeah, so we've had that, on, I think that's been up now for about five or six years. And so we'll always post a lot of items from other casting directors and extras casting directors who are um, looking to cast roles or background. Uh, so just stay tuned to that page, those crew opportunities, and any of my crazy antics or fundraising things I'm up to will always get posted there as well to share with uh, my network of folks there. 
I got to admit, around our house, uh, uh, baking competition shows are kind of a guilty pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Mine too. Please we watch. Yeah, well, the absolutely. Meeting is up November twelfth. So, Shelly, yeah. you can send me all of this because you get a guest profile with this, and I feel that you will fill it until it's overflowing with cake or otherwise. You will. So, um, I'll get all of that stuff, and we'll we'll put it all up there because those are all those are some great causes. And uh, who doesn't love an elf? Seriously, you have no heart if you don't love an elf. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so that's awesome. So thank you for doing that, Mark. Cause that was in the back of my mind and it, you, we both know it would have been forgotten. So, um, kudos to Mark for, for remembering what Mike always forgets. Uh, I get to do the fun stuff now. So, um, Shelly, did you ever watch when it was on the inside the actor's studio? Oh, a little bit. Okay. So See, you, a lot of times I'm so busy making content and working on projects yep there's a long period of time where i didn't really watch a lot but i am familiar with it okay perfect um so james lipton used to have a set of 10 questions he asked everybody at the end of the show um these are the 10 questions i'm going to ask you because nobody has sued me yet since he's passed away he can't ask them anymore the show is no longer on tv so i feel until i get a phone call this will be our new game we've done it with everybody you're going to carry the torch um so let me get the questions up here because i need to use my face to unlock really quick uh, well quick and not they're not quick fire in they're, they're rapid in in sense that i'll ask them and hope for the quickest response but you don't have to do like like first or second thing that pops in your head okay so uh first question what's your favorite word diversity like being versatile okay all right so diversity check yeah, yeah perfect okay um what's your least favorite word can't ah. yeah. uh, I, I can't do this i can't do that i know i'm guilty of saying it but well yeah no it, it's when it comes to a challenge i feel it's the worst response i can't if someone's like i bet you can't do that and then if you agree with them yeah that's but like i can't make it on time that's okay right or i can't uh i can't let you leave the house wearing that shirt that's fine <laughs> But like, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Uh, what turns you on creatively or spiritually or emotionally? Just being creative, constantly being creative, doing something, working on something. Uh, what's the turn off to that? Being like, I think you become stagnant if you're not always doing something. So like my whole life, I was just constantly looking to the next adventure, to the next thing. What is your favorite curse word? The F word. <laughs> <laughs> I don't under my breath or I catch myself saying it and I'm like, I just said that a lot. <laughs> that. That's the mom in you right there, it the F word. <laughs> uh, what sound or noise do you love? Like, like lots of water, like I go to a campsite in Bozager and I, that's my calming thing just to go listen to water, connect back with nature. Is that at Brokenhead? Yes. Yeah. I'm, I yeah, used to live great. in Bozager as a kid. It's, it's I a... was going to expect her to say something like uh buttercream icing being blended. That's going to sound crazy. <laughs> uh, what sound or noise do you hate? Oh, sorry, what sound noise? 
do you hate? <laughs> <laughs> For ladies and gentlemen, Mark just brought out awesome. his mixer. I want one of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a tease. You just teased a, a professional baker with a KitchenAid mixer. You're such a dick. All right. Uh, oh yeah. It's okay. funny that I just happen to have a stand mixer sitting next to me. <laughs> that's so funny. What are you doing with your stand mixer in your office? <laughs> <laughs> okay. What sound or noise do you hate? You're on a baking show, aren't you? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a secret secret uh, show that I'm running. <laughs> okay, one more time. I what? do some, a- I do some baking ASMR in my spare time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate? Probably, like, people in pain or, like, groaning, kind of, yeah. Okay. Things right. like that. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Can I say baking? Yes. <laughs> of course. No. 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 Oh, okay. You can't. <laughs> you can't. What profession that like, I would like to do other than filmmaking? Yeah. Maybe like a career counselor. I think I would be good with that. Okay. Maybe I'd be the person giving the teenagers the test. And giving them a hard line of a path to take in life and not be so wishy-washy. <laughs> yeah. Or letting them embrace that. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, what profession would you not like to do? I would not want to be a... Um, I just... Sorry, what's the word? Uh, what's the opposite of gynecologist? I can't believe I was... Proctologist. For that. The opposite for men. Like I Proctologist. I would want to do that. Urology. Oh, urology. I wouldn't want to go back to that. (laughs) I had to wash a lot of different instruments and be part of a lot of procedures, and I would not want to go back. I was going to say proctology. (laughs) Yeah, there was some of that involved. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. That's that's a new one. That one's going up on the wall for sure. Okay, last question before we get you out of here. Uh, If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well, what did I want him to say to me? Yeah. Some people have been here waiting for you. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> right this way. I was thinking back to your earlier answer. You should have took a left instead of the right. I think if you were to say, what would you not want him to say? I'm sorry, you're at the wrong place. <laughs> I'm sure there's people probably waiting for me in both that I would be happy to see. So. <laughs> we know Shelly would just kick down the door, though, anyways. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Shelly, this this has been a pleasure and an education, which I hope it always is for not only us, but for you as well, too. Um, oh, definitely. I am going to extend you an invite because we didn't even talk locations, and I feel locations is just as important <laughs> as casting. So we'll make a round two of this for sure because it's COVID. We got a lot. Well, you're working, which is fucking great. I'm so glad you guys are back at work. And um, Me too. I'm looking forward to a break, though. I have about a month left, and uh, it'll be nice to have a break. I started the show uh, just like right after the August long weekend. Yep. And so I feel like my house is calling me to uh, get caught up on some chores and yeah. uh, late spring cleaning. <laughs> we need great. all of you guys working, though, because now that everybody's consuming so much more media, now that everybody's stuck at home, they're running out of programs and shows to watch. Exactly. 
Um, That's true. I think it's going to be a busy winter overall, which will be good. So it's always nice to have like a few weeks off between projects. Like I can, I find I can get a lot done during then. Um, but if I ended up being off until next year, I'd be okay with that too. Cause I have some writing and some other creative content to create yeah. as well. So. Um, I actually, uh, wanted to tell you, <laughs> I forgot to tell you this. Um, I went to school with Peter Mooney in, we were in band class together and, uh, I know he, that again today? Peter Mooney, uh, who plays, uh, the lead in, uh, burden of truth. You guys went to school with each other. Yes, we were in the same band class together, and I remember when his first commercial, oh, cool. his first commercial he did, was where he was a younger brother uh, to a guy who was trying to be all cool in a drinking and driving commercial, and and the and the only he tried to sit in the front, and the only recognition he got was his older brother was like geek in the back, and then he kicked him into the back seat and let the girl come in. So if you ever see Peter in the next couple of weeks, which I'm sure you yes. will just walk up to him and say geek in the back and see if he remembers it. I'm sure he won't, but it was his, it, everybody at school was like, yeah, it's Peter. He's in a commercial. And we were all like losing our shit over it. It was, it was pretty funny. So that's awesome. Yeah. See, anywhere else in a bigger city, you wouldn't have had that connection or that happen most likely. No, sometimes you, I guess it depends where you are. Yeah, that's but. true. I mean, depends how big of a deal you are. <laughs> Anyways, um, Shelly, thank you so much for your well, time. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's been no. Really great. Thank you so much. It's, it's been amazing. So nice to meet you. We uh, we we are you thankful for your time, and uh, I will be in touch with you. Have a great rest of your weekend. Stay safe. You too. See you guys. Bye.